You're listening to a Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. The sixth annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland interdisciplinary conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2016. The conference was generously supported by an NUI Galway President's Award for Research Excellence to Professor Stephen Ellis, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Discipline of History at NUI Galway, and the Society for Renaissance Studies. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Rebecca Hassler from the University of St. Andrews. Her paper was entitled, Neither to Forbear Irish nor English, Barnaby Rich's Anglo-Irish Pamphleteering. In this paper, I will re-examine the often overlooked satirical pamphlets of Barnaby Rich. Rich, an English soldier and writer who spent much of his life in Ireland, produced a series of short books that catalogued contemporary iniquities and reported upon current affairs. I argue that Rich used a popular and conventional mode of English pamphleteering to explore Ireland and to recount his Irish experiences. Catering to English and Irish readers and addressing both exclusively English and colonially Irish concerns, Rich's pamphlets can be referred to as Anglo-Irish. By unravelling the complex relations between England and Ireland as they impact upon Rich's pamphleteering, I hope in this paper to demonstrate not only the literary and historical interests of Rich's writings, but more broadly, that by studying the ways in which writers transformed conventional genres or courted paying readers, we can elucidate discussions of colonialism, nationhood and identity. Before I move on, I'd just like to say that this is very much a work in progress. My research is more concerned with the English literary context of pamphleteering, so this is quite new territory for me, and I'm grateful to receive any feedback. Rich's pamphlets belong to an established and popular genre of English writing that in my thesis I refer to as documentary. In the late 16th and early 17th centuries, there was a vogue for pamphlets that catalogued moral, social or religious failings. These failings range from the profundity of the seven deadly sins to the triviality of vanity and apparel. Many writers produced books of various length, scope and seriousness that can be classified as documentary due to their shared attempt to document contemporary vices. In Elizabethan usage, a document was a teaching or an example that proved a writer's argument. Writers of moralistic documentary used classical or biblical authorities alongside journalistic descriptions of contemporary life in order to document their moral assertions. And it's these journalistic descriptions that I think are most akin to what we would call documentary today. Um, Although I won't have time to discuss this further today, the pamphlets developed recognisable stylistic features that enabled them to engagingly communicate their moral arguments. Um, For reference, these are just a couple of examples of the sort of books that I'm classifying as moralist documentary. So although it's too long to be considered a pamphlet, Philip Stubbs's 1583 Anatomy of Abuses is a sustained example of the form. Stubbs anatomises the many sins of England through the persona of Philoponus, a morally upright visitor to the nation. Philoponus recounts the abuses that he has observed in England, loosely following the structure of the seven deadly sins, but much of the book is dedicated to a criticism of contemporary apparel, 
featuring lively descriptions of the ridiculous clothes worn by gallants. A couple of other examples that we've got up here are Stephen Gosson's 1579 School of Abuse, which attacks recreations like attending the theatre, and an anonymous 1590 pamphlet called A Godly and Profitable Treatise, which rails at length against men having long hair. <laughs> it is against this generic backdrop that we should consider Richard's satirical pamphlets. For example, in 1606, Rich published Faults, Faults, and Nothing Else But Faults, a pamphlet concerned with faults, as you might have guessed. This was followed by Room for a Gentleman in 1609, which you can see from how it's presented, was presented as a sequel to Faults. Um, of particular relevance to this paper, for its Irish focus, will be Rich's final pamphlet, The Irish Hubbub, which was published in 1617. In The Irish Hubbub, Rich presented himself as a morally rigorous observer of contemporary affairs. The pamphlet purportedly attacks the base conditions and most notorious offences of this vile, vain and wicked age. Despite the title, the majority of the pamphlet is concerned with the English abuses that are the conventional targets of moralistic documentary. Drunkenness, adultery, indolence and above all, pride. This is particularly apparent in a conventional attack on pride and apparel. Rich laments how, I meet so many of my young masters passing through the streets, attired so like strumpets tricked up in the harlot's trim, for all the world like a seamster's maid new come out of the royal exchange. Rich is offering a conventional documentary attack on clothing, lamenting the effeminate frippery of gallants. He does so in comic and sarcastic language, painting a vivid picture of the behaviour that he is condemning. This mocking tone is usual for Rich, who takes a more humorous approach than some of his more straight-laced contemporaries. Finally, I'd also like to point out the reference to the Royal Exchange. This was London's shopping centre and a notorious site of the vices documented in moralistic pamphlets. To reference it here is entirely conventional, if perhaps not what we might expect in a pamphlet entitled The Irish Hubbub. Indeed, on one level, the Irish title and setting of the Irish hubbub can be seen as allowing Rich a means through which to address England. This is in keeping with much early modern writing purportedly about Ireland. Andrew Hadfield and Willie Maley have argued that English representations of Ireland were in point of fact representations of England. That was a quote. More specifically, Joseph Curry has noted that in reality, Rich's Ireland was also an allegory for England. However, Rich's engagement with Ireland is not quite this straightforward. It is not simply the case that Rich replicates a conventional English genre, using Ireland as Stubbs did the traveller persona Philipponus to distance himself from the content of his attack. As we will see, Rich departs from the generic norms of this very English mode of writing in order to engage with Ireland. Rich wrote documentaries in order to earn money. He capitalised on the popularity and replicability of documentary in order to produce books that would sell. From this perspective, Rich's writing on Ireland can be understood as an attempt to add novelty to a familiar formula by invoking the strange resonances of Ireland in the English imagination. So, in the Irish hubbub, Rich explains how that which in England we do call the hue and cry, in Ireland they do call the hubbub. He outlines the origins and practices of the hubbub, um, including as well some anecdotes of its use that are familiar to him from his time in Ireland. Um, 
Rich provides details of Irish life for an audience interested in unfamiliar customs. Indeed, Rich specifically presents the Irish hubbub as satisfying his readers' taste for Irish novelty. The pamphlet comes out of Ireland and is received by those hoping to hear some strange news. Rich's choice of phrase, strange news, signposts his offering of novelty, invoking the conventions of popular sensationalist news reporting. There was, after all, a market in England for Irish news. These are a selection of 1608 pamphlets published quickly after one Irish rebellion. Each new pamphlet contained only minor additions and updates as the publisher attempted to maximise profits from English consumer interest in this story. Um, The final pamphlet in the middle with the sensationalist woodcuts of the um, rebels' execution demonstrates just how sensationalist and how popular this um, story had become to the audience. In other works, Rich capitalised himself on the market for sensationalist Irish matter. His 1612 news pamphlet, A Catholic Conference, used the execution of two Catholic clergymen for treason to document his wider arguments against the Roman Church. A Catholic Conference mocks the unfamiliar behaviour of Irish Catholics. In journalistic language, Rich promises to make a true relation of the manners and behaviours of the people that so followed the prisoners. Strange and foolish, I confess to be rehearsed. The journalistic tropes of strange and true are repeated here as they are on the title page of the pamphlet. Rich then provides details of how people blessed the gallows and took relics from the corpses, scorning what he saw as the mass delusion of Catholic idolatry and pandering to an English taste for Irish novelties. In another pamphlet, Rich wrote that, I might speak here of their Irish customs, which are strange to be delivered. In all of these instances of the strange and true language, Rich is enlivening his documentaries by relaying anecdotes drawn from his experience of Ireland. Indeed, Rich frequently complained that, in his words, he that will presume to publish a book, if he doth not learn with the tailor and the attire maker to put it into a new fashion, it will never sell. By including accounts of strange but true Irish customs, Rich put conventional English documentary into a new fashion, aiming to increase his readership. Rich's accounts of strange Irish customs, and particularly those concerning Catholicism, can also be seen in a different light. Sheila Kavanagh has argued that sensationalist accounts of Ireland provided justification for violent military intervention. Rich's emphasis on the otherness of Ireland serves colonising rhetoric. Indeed, Rich's discussions of Ireland's difference usually focus upon Catholicism, and Rich consistently argued throughout his works of all genres that Catholicism was the cause of all of Ireland's problems. As was usual in Anglo-Irish discourse, Rich aligned Catholicism with treason, arguing that violence was necessary for reform. And this is a particularly fantastic quote from the Irish Hubbub, where Rich exclaims, A damnable religion, this popery, which instructs, Play the traitor, eat up thy God, murder thy king, kill, stab, poison, massacre, burn, torture, torment, sore and sunder, blow up with gunpowder. In order to oppose the violent treachery of Catholicism, Rich felt that it was necessary to use force. He wrote that it is most certain that whosoever will think to prevail in Ireland, it must be by using of justice with extremity and not with lenity. Although Rich was particularly military-minded, 
He was a soldier who frequently denounced peacemongers, as he called them. His approach is not unique. It's very much in keeping with other Anglo-Irish commentators of strong Protestant conviction who felt that violent military action was the way to reform and to control Ireland. Richard's Anglo-Irish documentaries cleverly manipulated a popular genre by combining a marketable selection of light-hearted novelties and a sustained attempt to advance England's colonising military cause. So far, I have considered Richard's representation of Ireland as that of an English writer using an English genre to cater to English readers and advance an English political agenda. However, the circumstances in which Richard's pamphlets were produced and received problematise this straightforward picture. Richard's Anglo-Irish pamphlets are implicated in a complex network of interactions between the two nations. That many of Richard's pamphlets were written in Ireland is significant. In addition to the personal situations that shaped Richard's circumstance, Irish life had a material impact, with Rich complaining about his limited access to literary sources. After um, Rich wrote his pamphlets in Ireland, they were without exception published in London, where they were sold to a majority of English readers. Yet, Rich did have some Irish readers. Although Dublin's printing trade was limited, books were imported to Ireland. In particular, those books that, like Rich's, were cheap and populist, were sold. There is moreover textual evidence that Rich addressed an Irish audience. Um, In addition to dedicating his works to officials resident in Ireland, as we can see here, Rich's prefatory material carefully addressed both English and Irish readers. Although Rich's perspective was that of the English coloniser and he employed a conventional English genre, he discussed Irish concerns to a joint English and Irish audience. Rich provides one specific anecdote depicting Irish reader response. Rich relays how he was dining at a Dublin alderman's house when a woman began to pick quarrels both at me and my book, slandering them with such false and untrue reports that a number of those that had never seen the book itself believed all to be true that she reported. This suggests not only that Rich's books were sold in Ireland, but also that they were read, discussed, and on at least one occasion, attacked. The offending book was Rich's 1610 anti-Catholic treatise, A New Description of Ireland. Despite the title, Rich himself summarised the book as being concerned with nothing but a discovery of the Pope. The woman's outrage could therefore be that of an affronted Catholic. Indeed, given the volatile associations between religious difference, treason, and military action, the described backlash would be unsurprising amongst Dublin's substantial Catholic population. While in England, strange relics and sanctified gallows might sometimes be read as diverting novelties, in Ireland they were emblematic of fraught political issues. Yet, Rich does not present the incident in these terms. According to Rich, some of them do exclaim against me that I have wonderfully wronged the city in speaking against their multitude of alehouses. Rich justifies himself, claiming that he only attacked the known strumpets that under the colour of selling ale do live in the loathsomeness of life. Although we should be cautious in accepting Rich's account, this anecdote was published in a book intended to excuse the description, the charge is significant. This is what Rich presents as the offending passage from the description. Rich describes female tavern keepers accusing them of failing to fulfil their religious duties and arguing that they are in the manner of their life and living to be detested and abhorred. Later in the book, Rich goes even further, describing a number of young idle housewives that are both very loathsome, filthy and abominable 
both in life and manners, and these they call tavern keepers, the most of them known harlots. This, then, might be the real reason for the Dublin woman's offence. She felt that either specifically or by association she had been slandered. Rich's description of Dublin alehouses was read as vicious and targeted. What is interesting is that this account is in keeping with the conventions of English documentary. Alehouses in drunkenness, particularly where they detracted from religious observation, were frequent targets of this sort of book. Furthermore, the unsubstantiated suggestion that certain female behaviour was befitting a strumpet or a harlot was commonplace. As we saw in the first quote I put up there, even male fashion was denounced as belonging to a strumpet or being of the harlot's trim. Rich was treading a fine line between English documentary and hurling abuse at Ireland. What might have been read by some English readers as shifting between conventional moralistic tirades and marketably lewd Irish customs was read by those in Ireland as a real insult. Even if this anecdote is entirely fictional, the fact that Rich felt the need to publish an excuse for the description demonstrates the real uproar caused by his writing. Rich's Anglo-Irish pamphleteering was defined by the tension between its dual English and Irish foci. This is again apparent in the Irish hubbub. The pamphlet's full title, The Irish Hubbub or the English Hue and Cry, captures Rich's simultaneous concern with both nations. Although, as we have seen, much of the pamphlet is dedicated either to explaining strange Irish customs or documenting conventional English vices, at one point, Rich explicitly turns to Ireland. He says, I would be loath now to show myself ungrateful to forget the place wherein I have had so long residence. I mean the realm of Ireland. Rich discusses Irish vices with surprising nuance. Rather than presenting Ireland as a novelty or dismissing the Irish as savage heretics, he describes how the Irish learnt pride from the English and claims that he might speak of some other vices, the rather exceeding amongst the Irish, by the ill example of the English. So-called English runagates provided an ill example that taught the Irish the staple vices of documentary. Moreover, Rich felt that English recusants encouraged Catholicism. At this moment in the text, the contradictory nature of Rich's Anglo-Irish pamphleteering is particularly apparent. Although Rich is comparatively sympathetic to the Irish, particularly when put against the description of the alehouses, this passage is very condescending. Just as colonial reformers seek to impose their perspective on a malleable populace, here the Irish are presented as naively corruptible. If the Irish populace is this naive, then military action is disproportionate. Yet, if Irish Catholics are all inevitably traitors, then mocking documentary is too lenient a form to treat them in. As Rich's different approaches to Ireland converge, his documentary form is contorted. Andrew Murphy has described English representations of Ireland as characterised and disturbed by Ireland's proximity. Despite its othered status, Ireland is geographically and culturally proximate to England. Rich's pamphleteering attests to this proximity. As we have seen, Rich represented Ireland through English generic models to English and Irish readers, capitalising on Irish strangeness, advocating English military action, comparing the sins of the two nations and commenting upon Irish behaviour. At times, Ireland is like England, condemned in documentary language. Elsewhere, the otherness of Ireland provides English readers with an entertaining diversion. The title of this paper is taken from the Irish hubbub, in which Rich promised to give the hubbub when I see cause, and neither to forbear Irish nor English. 
In refusing to forbear the sins of either Ireland or England, Rich could not refrain from discussing either nation. Consequently, his pamphlets attest to the complexity of political, personal and textual relations between England and Ireland. In conclusion, by examining how Rich infused an English genre with Irish matter, we can recapture some of the multiple and contradictory perspectives that defined Anglo-Irish relations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.